This week, uh, for me personally, it was a difficult week. Um, Tuesday was the 19th day of Adar, Sheni. Um, and this is the anniversary of the day that a very close friend of mine, Danny Majitz, uh, fell in Lebanon in ambush in 1985. I will tell you his whole story. I'm not going to unpack it tonight because it gets me into a funk and I don't really want to go there. But um, he was a tzaddik of a human being. And part of the question of this year definitely fits his story. So we're going to dedicate uh, this year in his memory, Lilun Ishmato, um, Daniel Majitz, Ben Chana. And I also want to dedicate this um, daughter of a close friend of mine uh, and also the sister of an alum who struggled about a year ago, maybe more than a year ago, um, with cancer and beat it. And now there's some suffolk of what's going on. So we're going we're gonna to dedicate this shir, learning tonight that it uh, should be her first lama, that she should find that it's ridiculous, that it's nothing, and there's nothing to worry about. Her name is Tamara Elisheva Batvora, and we should just have her in mind for a full refua. And if anybody wants to say, I've taken on to say a kvittel tehillim, kuflamid. Shira Malat every day until I hear she gets better. And anybody wants to do something similar, big mitzvah, she's at Sadekis of a girl. Um, at the beginning of uh, the second intifada, we're talking about uh, the year 2000, um, all hell basically broke loose in this country. Uh, the prime minister at the time was a fellow by the name of Ehud Barak. Uh, supposedly the most decorated soldier in Israeli military history. Um, I'm not going to get into the politics of this, but suffice it to say that he went to a conference in Camp David in an attempt to finally reach an understanding with the Arab world, starting with the Palestinians. And uh, Bill Clinton at the time was the President of the United States, and they convened peace talks in Camp David. He offered to Yasser Arafat 97% 97% of Yudava Shamron, only excluding the major population areas like Ariel, Frat Kushetzil, Hebron, and was willing to give him 3% of the rest of the country, mostly in the Galil, in Tamura, right? Um, it's, it's really mind-boggling that, that Yasser Arafat said no. Um, most simply, he said no because he couldn't agree to an end to this conflict for various reasons that are beyond the scope of this year. Um, a couple months later, on uh, actually the day after Rosh Hashanah, basically shootings, Molotov cocktails, massive violence all over the country in what uh, later became known as the Second Intifada. Intifada means an uprising. It wasn't really quite an uprising, it was more like terrorism, but okay. Um, and this lasted for a good number of years, and it came in waves. And the Israeli army, um, sort of did its best to put down the intifada. Again, I'm not gonna get into all the strategic underpinnings and what the mistakes were and what intelligence needed to build. Um, one of the things that was happening that sort of came up again, which Israel had sort of thought had died down and they'd resolved, was the issue of bus bombings. Suicide bombers, you know, getting on buses, blowing themselves up, walking into pizzerias. I was in Sparrows, and uh, it was 2001. And one of the straws that broke the camel's back, now remember by this time, Israel had given away sort of, I, I wouldn't call it sovereignty, but control over major Arab population centers. Uh, the Israeli army, and for that matter, mostly the Shabak had pulled out of 
Aza, Yericho, Janine, Shechem, Hebron, all these areas. And that's probably why a lot of the violence was able to promulgate and arms, illegal arms, and so on and so forth. Uh, the straw that broke the camel's back was an event on Pesach. On Pesach of 2002, if I'm not mistaken, um, a terrorist walked into the Park Hotel in Netanya, maybe you know the story. It was Lel HaSeder, it was in the middle of the Seder. Uh, the hall there was packed with guests. Um, I had actually been in this hall some years earlier for the bris of a cousin of mine. In the middle of this hall, there was like this sort of sunken area, you know, where people sat in the band, if there was a band for bar mitzvah or something. And uh, he basically blew himself up with a massive explosive charge. Um, I think, I don't remember the exact number, you can look it up, some 40 people were murdered. And it was basically the straw that broke the camel's back. It was just a shocking story. The images that came out, uh, some of them got through the censors, were horrific. Uh, literally, people were walking ankle deep in blood in the middle of the Park Hotel. And that was basically, like, the government finally had it. And uh, they launched an operation called Chomat Magen, which basically was the Israeli army going back into these population centers to root out terrorists, find them, kill them, arrest them, whatever it had to be. And over the next number of months, uh, major uh, reserves call up, major fighting, horrific, horrific stories. Because this time, unlike the first Intifada, they had arms, they were trained, they were training in battalion strength, they were booby-trapped, and it was a terrible, terrible time. So when this call-up occurred, there was a fellow by the name of Avram Gutman. Avram Gutman was, a, at the time, a brigade commander, a machat in Miluim, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and when they called up his unit, so he went. And uh, at some point uh, in the fighting, they gathered sort of the brigade commanders, the higher-up officers, for a strategy session with Shaul Mufaz, who at the time was the chief of staff of the Israeli army. I actually spent a few weeks with him in a tank. That's a whole other story for another time. Um, he later would become defense minister. And, um, and they're having this briefing. And he notices that Avram Gutman has a rip in his shirt. Now, Israeli officers, it doesn't matter, you're fighting. You don't walk around with a ripped shirt. It's a bad example for the men. So he walks over and goes, Mazza. He goes, go, go, go get another uniform. Change your uniform. So Avram Gutman takes him aside and says, I'm wearing this shirt because I got it from Shiva. My mother passed away yesterday. We buried her this morning. And uh, I did Kriya, like it's the custom to tear. But I'm back here fighting my men. So Mufaz looks at him and he says, your mother, you buried your mother this morning. Go home. We'll manage without you. He tells him the following story. He says that a few days earlier, he got a call from his mother. Now his mother knows, I mean, he's a brigade commander. He knows what's going on. She doesn't bother him for shtiyat, right? She was a Holocaust survivor. If your mother is 92 years old and knows you're a brigade commander, knows you're leading your men, knows whatever, calls you, and then calls you a second time, you pick up the phone. So he picks up the phone, and his mother says, Avram, I know you're busy. I just have two things to say to you. The first is know that you're my revenge against the Nazis. She was a Holocaust survivor. She was in Auschwitz. And the second is, you have a responsibility to bring your men home safely. That's all. And she hung up. And she was nifter a few hours later. So he said to Mufaz, if my mother, who was a Holocaust survivor, took the time to tell me that I should make sure to bring my men home safe, then I know this is what she would want me to do, and I have to be here leading my men. And Mufaz looked at him, smiled, and kept up with the briefing. Sometimes, sometimes you got to know 
when you have to step forward. When you put the norms aside and you leap forward to whatever your mission is, to whatever it is you're meant to be doing. Sometimes it's the opposite. I told you a story once of a good friend of mine who was in the same operation in Chomat Magen. He was a sergeant, pretty much the other end of the rank extreme. And uh, he was doing, uh, they were doing patrol. They were in Janine, actually. And he had this custom. You'll remember this story. He had this custom. He used to walk around uh, with candies in his pockets. And he would give candies out to the little kids, right? Just, you know, to make them, you know, maybe one day some Arab kid will grow up and someone will tell him that all Israeli soldiers are horrible. And he'll remember there was one Israeli soldier, a nice guy, used to give me candy. That was his little peace mission, right? Now, because of this, when he would get to these places, they would get to know him, right? So he would walk around, and sometimes kids would follow him, and they would, you know, hold out their hands and ask him for whatever, right? And so he would keep candies on and give out candies. It was like his little shtick. So one day they were on patrol, and it was a really intense time, like I said. You know, they're battling terrorists and firefighters. It's just a horrible time. And um, this little kid sees him, and he's running over to him, right? And pulling on his sleeve and kind of won't let him walk. But he's on patrol now. Like he would do this stuff sort of when he's around the base, whatever, he's on patrol. So he kind of shoes the kid off, you know, they're on patrol, whatever. But the kid won't let him go. So then he realizes the kid probably wants candy. So he pulls the candy out of his pocket and he gives him a candy. Because the kid recognized him, whatever. The kid takes the candy, throws it on the ground, grabs his sleeve and continues pulling him. And he's saying to him, la, 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 la. I don't know what he's talking about. La, 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 la. Like, la, 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 la. What does that mean? But something about this story, just, it just caught him as odd. Like a four or five-year-old Arab kid doesn't throw a candy away. These kids are poverty-stricken. They have nothing. So, so he thinks this is odd. So he walks over to his officer, and he says to his officer, something here is strange. Now, what do you say to your officer? I gave a kid a candy, threw it down. Something's fine. Like, he didn't even know what to say to him. But he felt like he had to say something. He wasn't sure why. So he tells his officer, right? Okay, you know me with the candies and the kid, and I gave the kid the candy and the kid, you know, and he threw it down. I just, something's weird here. Well, what does he want? This kid is still standing there. He's saying, la, la. Now, la, in Arabic, is lo. What he's saying to this, what this kid was saying is, no, 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 no. Now, the officer who knew little Arabic, right? It's like when you're sleeping and the alarm is going off, but you're still dreaming, but in the distance you hear an alarm. You haven't yet figured it out. He hears this distant alarm in his head. He looks around and he sees they're heading towards an alleyway. Now their patrol is going to take them to an alleyway. And something about this just seems off. So he tells all the men to stop, take defensive positions. He radios battalion. He says he wants a couple of sappers to come. A couple of guys who, you know, from the bomb squad type of thing, right? Engineers, right? Now they have to wait there 30, 40 minutes. It's going to delay the patrol. There's a lose, but okay. Eventually the zappers get there and he tells them, look, never mind, I just have a gut, something's wrong here. So they go into the alley and they find that the entire alleyway is booby-trapped from, from head to foot. Rigged grenade, grenade tripwires and, and just beyond and, and explode. They find a claymore mine all through this. His unit would have been ripped to shreds. Sometimes you got to know when you got to run forward and sometimes you got to know when to pause. Now why do I tell you this? Because there's a fascinating detail in this week's parasha. We're in the parasha of Shmini. Okay? Shmini is called Shmini because it's Yom HaShmini. It's the eighth day. This is the day that the Mishkan will be dedicated. This is, by the way, a unique day in Jewish history. 
there will never be, and there's never been another day like this day. There will never be the dedication day of the Mishkan. It's the first time that a sacred space where somehow we can experience the presence of in the world was dedicated. What other major event occurs here for the first time ever? We have a Kohen Gadol. Aaron becomes the Kohen Gadol. Before this, Moshe Rabbeinu is Kohen Gadol for seven days, but the eighth day, he relinquishes it to Aaron. So you have the establishment. There's no Kohanim if there's no Mishkan. Why would you need a priest if you don't have a temple? So this is the establishment of the Kuhuna, which, by the way, of the different forms of leadership is the only one we still have. So this is a big day, right? And Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Aaron what to do. And there's a fascinating Pasuk. Pasuk says like this, this is Perak Ted Pasuk Zayin. Vayomer Moshe el Aaron, krav el mizbeach. Come close to the Mizbeach. Now, that's a funny line. What does that mean, come close to the Mizbeach? If you look a few later, it already said, Vayomer el Aaron, kach lecha egel ben bakar lechatat, v'ay leolat mimim, v'hakrev l'fnei Hashem. Come close, offer this up to HaKash Baruch so Hashem's already told Moshe, Moshe's already told Aaron, come to Mizbech and offer up this offering. Why does Moshe have to say again, come close to the Mizbech? Doesn't make sense. Come close to the altar. So Rashi notices this. And Rashi says the following. Right? It's, uh, he's quoting a Sifra, a Medrash uh, from Torah Kohanim. Shehaya Aaron bosh v'yarei lageshet. Aaron was embarrassed. He was a little bit in awe. He was afraid to come close to the Mizbech. Amar lo Moshe, so Moshe says to him, Lama ta bosh? Lekach nivchato, why are you embarrassed? What are you doing? This is what you were chosen for. Come and do the carbon. So that's a strange little dialogue. What is Moshe, what was Aaron struggling with? Why does Moshe have to tell him this? Why does the Torah take the time? This is obviously something important. Because the Torah takes the time to put in a pasuk to show me this. Right? So, so what does this mean? I want to understand this. The Sifti Chachamim, right? It's a perush on uh, Rashi. Okay? Achron. The Lama Yatzarich Moshe Lomar Lo Karev Alamizbeach Vodarik Varnemar Vakrev. He says, Rashi is explaining why Moshe had to tell Aaron to come close. So Aaron, the Kohen Gadol, doesn't want to accept his position. He doesn't want to come to the Mizbech. Why wouldn't you want to come to the Mizbech? By the way, does this remind you of anything? Doesn't want to accept responsibility? Moshe Rabbeinu. These two brothers are like peas in a pod. Moshe Rabbeinu at the burning bush doesn't want to take his role. So something's going on. Let's understand this. I want you to notice something else. The Lubavitcher Rebbe has these amazing pieces on Rashi. He was really one of the greatest, if not the greatest, expert alive on Rashi. And he has these little Gilyar notes. You can find them. They're all over the country. Um, and he'll take one Rashi and he'll rip it to shreds. And he'll analyze it and he'll quote Gemara from all over the place and come up with these amazing ideas. Okay? Now, the Lubavitcher Rebbe seems to have been very makvid. He, was, he, he believed that every word in Rashi was significant. Rashi doesn't just waste words. Similar to Reb Chaim's opinion on the Rambam. That's definitely what, what the Lubavitcher Rebbe felt. You can see it in his commentary. So if that's the case, listen to this. Haya Aaron bosh v'yarei. 
Aaron was Bosh, whatever Bosh means, and he was Yarei, whatever Yarei means. Lageshet. Amar lo Moshe, lama ta Bosh? Lekach nivcharta. What's missing here? It's okay to be a Barisana. He says, lama ta Bosh, why are you Bosh? He should say, lama ta Yarei, but lama ta Bosh. So what happened to the fact that Aaron is Yarei? So it would seem, there's two possibilities here. One is that somehow Moshe doesn't know that Aaron is Yarei. The Medrash is telling us that two things going on with Aaron. Moshe only sees one. Okay, that could be. Or the issue here is not with the fact that Aaron is Yarei, but that Aaron is Bosh. What do we obviously have to do? We have to define our terms. What two terms do we have to define? Yarei and Bosh. Okay. So what is Yira? Now, Defining and discussing Yirat Shamayim, <laughs> I mean, we could spend a week on this. And, uh, you know, I, I, I want you to wake up for Shachris in the morning. So I'm just going to give you this quickly. But this is a topic worth exploring. There, there are two modalities with which we approach Hashem. And they are Yira and Ava. Which is a higher level? Ava Hashem or Yira Hashem? Okay, so the Rambam in Hilchos Tshuva is very clear. Very clear. You're right. There's a big discussion about this. But when you read the Rambam, it seems to me pretty clear what the Rambam says. Even though in the Rambam it's not clear. But here it is. Listen to this. You tell me. Tenth parak of Hilchos Tshuva. Okay? Al Yoma. This is the most important. I mean, this is all of Hilchos Tshuva, all of the laws of repentance are geared for the 10th chapter. By the way, there's a custom to read a parak a day of Hilchos Tshuva. How many parakim in Hilchos Tshuva? 10 days. When do we do this? Seres Tshuva, right between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. So if the first parak we read in Rosh Hashanah, one of the parakim is a very long parak. interesting discussion why they read this during Seres Tshuva, but whatever. When you read the second, the 10th parak on Yom Kippur, and it's not accidental that the 10th parak is all about, the 10th chapter of the Raman Hilch 2 is all about how I, how I am Ove Hashem, how do I develop my relationship with Hashem, whatever. But listen to this line. Al Yomar Adam, Hareini Yosei Mitzvot HaTorah Ve'oseik Bechokhmata Kedei She'akabel HaBrachot HaKtubo BaTorah Ogedei She'ezkeh L'chai Olam Don't, the person shouldn't say I'm going to do all these mitzvahs so that I get all the merit of the blessings that are in the Torah. Right, Gav, I know you're listening. Ve'efrosh Minaveirot and I will distance myself. I won't do all of the transgressions. <laughs> In order to be saved from the curses. Right? In other words, I do what I do so that I'll be rewarded or so that I won't be punished. What does this remind you of? Yeah. Which mission in Pergavos? Don't be like a, a servant who serves the master in order to get reward. You should do these things not for reward. Do them because they're the right things to do. Okay. And the Rambam says this. This is called Yira. It's not who you want. Yira is not the way to go. Yira is, I'm doing this because I'm nervous, I'm afraid. Imagine you're married. And you know that there's certain things your wife wants you to do. She says to you, I expect you to take out the garbage. She says to you, you know, I hope you'll, uh, I don't know, clean up the house a little for Shabbos, right? So you could do these things because you're afraid that your wife is going to be annoyed with you. Or you don't want to get yelled at, or you just don't want to deal with her telling you, why didn't you take out the garbage? 
And technically, the garbage will be taken out, the wife will be happy. But is that the marriage you want? That you do things to your wife because you don't want to yell at you? Because you don't want to annoy at you? Who would want a marriage like that? If your wife wants you to take out the garbage, you should want to take out the garbage just because your wife wants you to take out the garbage. And eventually you get to the level where you actually enjoy taking out the garbage because you get to do something simply because your wife asked you to do it. It becomes part of your, your love for your wife. The simple act of taking out the garbage. That's where you want to be. So Yira is where you're afraid of consequences. You're trying to avoid consequences. And that's not the highest level. So Aaron then is Yare. He's bothered by something. He's afraid of some consequence. He's nervous because of what could happen or maybe what did happen. Okay. What is Busha? What is Bosh? What does it mean to be Bosh? So where's the first place we find Bosh? There are two famous instances. There are more, but we'll choose two. Right? Vayu Adam v'chava erumim. Right? Vayu shnehem erumim. They were naked, supposedly. It's an interesting word. Ha'adam v'ishto v'lo yit boshashu. They had no busha. No busha. So Rashi says, what does it mean they had no busha? This is fascinating, right? Shilo ayu yodim derech tzniyut lavchin ben tov They didn't have the sensitivity, the modesty, to know the difference between right and wrong. You know? Now, who doesn't know the difference between right and wrong when it comes to the body? An animal. Right? You don't go over to a lion and say, dude, don't do that in public. It's not nice. He's an animal. He doesn't know any better. Right? So before they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they have no concept of the difference between good and evil, according to Rashi. Even though Adam and Rishon has a relationship with the animals, he can call them by their names. This is Rashi. Not everybody agrees with this. So lo yit boshashu means there was no, there, there was no, there was no boundary. There, there was no limiting factor that tells me don't do this because it's a problem. Right? The Sferno, who was an Italian commentator, I think 14th century, Sferno says, Ki before they eat from the tree of knowledge, before they discern things you do and don't do, they had no yetzer. Having relations was something you did to have babies, just like you need to eat, you need to drink. It was just a natural activity. Right? There were no boundaries. There was no, there was no, there was no limitation to it. Right? No yetzer. So Bosch then is when I, when I follow the Yetzir Hara and I know that I shouldn't. Lo Yit Boshashu means that they didn't have a Yetzir Hara. Understand? Interesting. Right? And the Svarno basically says that it's all L'Shem Shamayim. Everything we do is L'Shem Shamayim. Right? Um, until they made the mistake of eating that which Hashem didn't want them to eat. And then they discovered there are things you do and things you don't do. And I'll give you another example, maybe to make this clearer. When Moshe Rabbeinu is up on Har Sinai, okay, famous mistake, 
that we know as Chaita Egel. How does Chaita, how does the sin of the golden calf start? How does Chaita Egel start? Where does it start? You know where it starts? Vayar Ha'am Ki Boshesh Moshe. The people say that Moshe is Boshesh. Same word. What does Uncle say here? Aramaic commentary, Mishnah period. The people see that Moshe is late. And Rashi understands it exactly this way. In the story of Sisra, uh, in the time of Devorah was a prophetess, right? Judge, actually. And the Canaanites go to battle, Yavin Melch Canaan, against the Jews. And Barak ben Canaan goes to fight. And without getting into the whole story, Sisra eventually gets captured by Yael, seduced, whatever, and killed. And the mother is waiting for him. What famous custom do we have that comes from the story? The blows of the shofar. The, the sobbing, the grieving of the mother's sounds is the sounds of our shofar. So the mother sees his, his chariot tarries. It doesn't come. It's delayed. Right? So what does boshesh mean? Moshe is delayed, right? Boshesh is, is that something, something is put off, something is delayed. Aaron delays coming. He's reticent to come. He has this mitzvah to come to the Mizbeach, but, but he can't quite run there. He's holding back. Why is he holding back? And if this is what Boshesh and what Yareh means, then Moshe Rabbeinu is telling two things to Aaron. First of all, he's telling him, there's no need to delay. What are you waiting for? Let's go. Right? And there's no fear of punishment. The Yirah, which is the fear of punishment, you have no, no punishment to be afraid of. Now, what punishment could, could Aaron be afraid of? So the Ramban says an amazing thing. The Ramban quotes the Medrash that says, that he saw, the Ramban, the Ramban says, they were raised up by this, like what's going on here? Why isn't Aaron running to his back? Right? He says, Aaron um, Aaron sees the Mizbeach like an ox. It has horns. There are horns on the altar. Right? And he becomes afraid. He pauses. Now why does Aaron pause? So the first we say, Aaron, tzaddik, has no chatan. He has only one chet. What's his big mistake? Chet Right? He was the one down below who threw the gold into the fire. Now if you have no mistakes and you only have one, then that's what's on your mind. And when Aaron sees the Mizbeach, it somehow reminds him. By the way, look at the beginning of this story. What's the beginning of the story? What is the carbon here that we're talking about bringing? It's an Egel. So Rashi says, Hashem is telling Aaron, right? You're going to bring an Egel and you can atone for Chet But Aaron is struggling with the fact that he should be bringing an Egel at all. Now, how do you understand this? Right? There's an interesting halacha 
We have to finish. There's a lot more to talk about here, but we will get to talk about it. There's, pardon? We had no. This is going to be a shir for Yom Hazikaron, but um, there is a halacha that we have in the Gemara in Yuma of Afhein Hayu Ba'oso Achet. Right? If uh, if if I if I go to a coin and I say to him, "Listen, I made a mistake. I did something accidentally, and I want to bring a korban chatat." Okay, comes to his bech. So the coin takes the animal, checks it out, makes sure there's no blemishes, and he offers it up. And then the kohen eat it. Sometimes I eat it if it's an asham, whatever it is, right? And, and that somehow gains atonement. But what happens if I accidentally do this chait, I don't know, Lashon Hara, and meanwhile this kohen is known to be someone who speaks Lashon Hara. So he can't bring the korban. Not only can't he bring the korban, but if he brings the korban, I don't receive atonement. So comes Aaron and says, how can I bring an ego? I was chote in the chait of the ego. How can I bring an ego? Right? So Aaron, at the beginning of our journey into the Mishkan, is, is hesitant. He's reticent. He's struggling with this. Now, what other major story is in this week's parasha? Nadav Naviyu. Nadav Naviyu, there's a huge debate. What exactly was the mistake that Nadav Naviyu did? In fact, if you really look carefully, you'll find over 14 opinions. Whenever you find so many chachamim who have so many different opinions about something, it's a sure sign that it's not clear to anyone what really happened there. The Torah purposely seems to obfuscate exactly what happened. We're not meant to know exactly what happened. In fact, these opinions are almost equally divided between they did something amazing and they did something horrible. Their zeal for Hashem was so wonderful that the world couldn't contain them anymore. Or they were more halacha b'fnei rav. Or they got drunk. There are all sorts of different opinions. Let me tell you my favorite. My favorite is of Shimshon Falhersh. Shimshon Falhersh says, they were caught up in the passion of the moment. And by the way, if you look at the psukim, the psukim bear this out. Right? It says, right, v'teitzei h, this is the beginning of shlishi. And even though the Christians have this as the end of Paraktet, right? The, the Jewish tradition is this is the beginning of the next topic. And you'll see why it makes sense. Right? Moshe and Aaron come to the Ol Moed, okay? And they come outside and they bless the people. The dedication ceremony is complete. And somehow the glory of Hashem appears. And a fire comes from Hashem, from the Ketoret. If, if this is the Mizbech Ketoret, and this is the external Mizbech where the Ola is, fire, it's not fire from heaven, fire comes from the Ketoret, so it seems, consumes the altar. Right? Consumes the Mizbech. Okay? But to Chalav Mizbech, et alav et achalavim, vayar kolam, and the people see vayaronu, vayiplu al pneim. I want you to understand something. If you see that there's a, a, a sacrifice on the altar, on the Mizbech, and it's consumed by heavenly fire. What word comes to mind? What just happened? Well, what just happened? What, what, what did Hashem do? What am I experiencing? Everything's in ace. What does that represent? What does that mean? What does it mean that Hashem, Hashem's fire consumes that my offering is accepted? Why was it so important to the people that this offering was accepted? 
Why was it so important? Because they had just done the Lake Chedego. Because six months ago, they did this terrible mistake. They're stuck in the desert. They've been spending months building this Mishkan. According to Rashi, they're building the Mishkan to somehow atone for the Chet Egel. And by the way, what has not happened in this entire period of time? They have not heard the word of Hashem. Hashem may have spoken to Moshe, he doesn't speak to Jewish people. All, everything stops. One minute they're at Harsinai, they're communicating with God, they're on such a high level, the next minute Hashem isn't talking to them. This is like you get into a fight with your girlfriend and she stops talking to you. That's the worst. It's the worst. You know, God forbid, people in a marriage and they stop talking to each other. That's the worst. So then one day, you know, you, you bring her uh, white roses because you want to make up, you know? And you wake up in the morning and the, ro- and the roses are in the garbage. You've not made up yet. And you're like broken because like, I don't know, whatever you did and your wife is so upset, your girlfriend's so upset. So you go out and you buy another dozen white roses and you bring them back the next day and you bring them to her. But she won't let you in the house. So, you know, you, you talk to her dad. Say, oh, tell, I don't know, Maisie Daisy, like, please. And she's not talking to you and nobody's talking to you. And you bring the roses and you put a card. Oh, I love you so much. And, you, and the next day you come back again and they're in the garbage. And you do this every day because you're so broken. And one day you come. And you pass the garbage. And there's no roses. And you walk up to the house. And you look through the window. And you see a dozen white roses and they're in a vase on the table. And your heart soars because you're back. Because she's willing to talk. So the Jewish people see this. The, the, the carbon is consumed. And the fire comes from Shemayim. And, and, and Moshe and Aaron come out and there's this moment of joy. And they, they, the people experience Rina as a form of joy. You know what happens when you experience Rina? You pull out Nahem. They just fall to the ground. They're so overwhelmed. It's such an ecstatic moment. There are no words. Rina is a form of joy that's beyond words. It's, it's the moment that you ask your wife to marry you and she says yes. There are no words. You're like overwhelmed. It's the moment you're in a room and one minute there's two of you and then your baby is born and, 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 and you become a father. There's no words. You don't call up and say, hey, I'm a dad. Like you don't even know what to say. It's ecstasy. It's ecstatic joy. Very next pasuk. So another day you go and they take this, these coals and they put them in the sensors in the machta, right? It's like this little stick, whatever that you do with. And they put the ktorit on. I'm not going to get into how that works. And they offer up this fire that's not commanded, which makes it an age zara. It's a strange fire. It's not, it's not part of the ritual. Listen to this pasuk. It's the exact same words that occur just a few psukim only. They die before Hashem. It's the same pasuk. So, in my mind, that's why some of the Mepharshim say they're a carbon. They've been accepted by Hashem. They're no longer for this world. And some Mepharshim say, no, but it's an Eish Zarah. So what's going on here? What exactly is this, this experience? So Shimshon Falher says, they were so caught up in the ecstasy of the moment, they just, they wanted more. They think, this is amazing, let's do another carbon. Says of Shimshon Falher, if you're a coin, if you're a leader, and the joy of the people is not enough for you, you have to demonstrate your own joy, then something's wrong. That's not what leadership is about. Your joy should be the joy of the people. You don't need your own joy. 
you should revel with the people to such a degree that their joy is enough for you. In other words, hidden in the words of the Shem from Al-Hirsh is that this is all about leadership. And here we'll end. Rabbi Sachs has a magnificent article on this topic. I couldn't find it before, so you can probably look it up and find it yourself. He has a magnificent topic, uh, article on this topic. And he says, this parsha represents two challenges that leaders have to overcome. It's the challenge of Aaron. Aaron hesitates. He's reticent. He says, why me? This is not for me. There's somebody better than me. Can I really do this? Do I want this? Do you know what a hassle it is to be a leader? You know? The calls that you get, the late nights you have to put in. I remember um, when my son was thinking about going to officer's course. And he was talking to me. And he said to me, like, okay, so what are the ups and downs? I said, don't become an officer for any of the ups. Become an officer because you believe that you have something to give that's worth all the downs. When you get to Milouin as an officer, you know, there's something about doing reserve in this country, it clears your head. If you're not in a war and you're not, you know, you're going to like do a cav, whatever, you're going to do patrols along the Jordanian border. It's like in the Kui Rosh. You know, there's some people looking, it's almost like a vacation. You get to be with your buddies, you get very close to the guys in the army. You know, all the social norms and mores, they kind of fall by the wayside. You know, when I was early in my Milouim day, it meant that was where you could smoke, you could do what you want, you know, whatever. And you're doing a mitzvah and you're serving the country and you feel good about yourself. It's powerful. Right? But when you're an officer, there's this, this incredible weight of responsibility that comes in you. are responsible for people's lives. When you do an imun, when you do a, a maneuver. So, all, you know, you finish the night maneuver and all the soldiers go to sleep. You got to sit up for another couple hours planning the next day, making sure everything's tick-tock or whatever it is. It's a lot of work to be a leader. So it's natural for a person to say, do I need this? You get to college, and you see that there's anti-Semitism on campus. And you see there's an organization, and they're fighting anti-Semitism, you know? There's, 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 you go to University of Maryland, and there's, I forget what it's called, it's called KEDMA, I think, this, this organization, or Hillel, and they're, 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 you know, they're, they're running programs to, to reach out to the Jewish community, or to, or to make sure that everybody has a powerful Shabbat experience. Or you go to Brandeis, and it's, I think it's called The Boo. Some genius picked that name, but whatever, right? And, and they, they do enormously, but it's a lot of work. And I've got my finals, and I've got... So that's one, that's one, like, that's an hour moment. That's Moshe at the burning bush. It's, do I really want to do this? And then you got a second challenge. Right? Yonah, by the way, Yonah runs away from this. Yonah Navi runs away from this because he doesn't want the responsibility. Right? Moshe does this at the burning bush. And then you got Nadav Naviu, according to Shem Shofal Hirsch. And they run into it. They're so caught up in their passion, right? It, look at me. It's all about me. I did this, right? Have a little humility. Take a pause. What is it people really need of you? Are you with them? The people's joy should be your joy. And the balance of these two ideas is what this parsha is about. It's where the kahuna begins. It's, it's, it's Moshe and Aaron demonstrating these two ideas. Pause to come to the Mizbeach. Understand, I've done a chet egal. I need to think about this. But at the same time, says Moshe, be willing to step forward and accept your responsibility. You have something. You've been chosen for something. You may not have asked for it, but you have a gift. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to get more Jewish content than most people will ever see. 
right? You didn't ask for this, but Hashem put you in this place. You're going to be in places where the Jews around you have no clue of all the things you want. What will you do with that? That's the challenge of Parashat Shemini. A little bit of food for thought. Parashat Shemini. Shabbat Shalom.